Welcome on this wonderful day. I'm Joel Van Hoogen, and this is the Bread of Life. Our program is presented by the International Disciple Making Ministry Church Partnership Evangelism. Let me encourage you to learn more about the amazing work we're doing around the world. You can follow all the links from our webpage at breadoflifeboise.org. Our lesson today is taken from Matthew 20, 28, where Jesus says, I have not come to be served, but to serve and give myself a ransom for many. From a negative side, we note he wasn't seeking service from us. And from a positive side, he was actively seeking to serve us. So he said was the reason that he came. Think about this for a moment. The angels are gathering in wonder around the manger where this baby Jesus is born. They're watching with shuddering amazement over an event that's taking place that no other creature could ever appreciate like they could. We don't know the amazement that they find in the words, for unto you is born, and the mystery of it all. Because they know who Jesus is as no one else does. Up to this moment, they have spent their entire existence bowing before his throne in heaven. They've been his armies that have answered to his every command. They've had various roles and duties in all that they did, but in all that they did, they acted merely as his servants. They have throughout their existence been working to serve and meet and satisfy his desires. Now on earth, their service to him is going to be restrained by the very hand of God. Before, where they were constantly attending to him in service, now as he becomes weak, with a weakness that they cannot begin to comprehend in light of the majestic and glorious power that he has expressed before them. Now he will endure moments of temptation and testing and trials while they are being restrained from coming to his aid. He must bear them all alone by himself. Jesus will say in truth, if you remember, at the point at which he's being judged by Pilate before his crucifixion, I tell you the truth, I can command 10,000 angels to come and rescue me. And they were waiting for the command. Eagerly longing that he might give the word that they might rush in and serve him. And draw him up from that experience and that event. But he's going to die alone on a cross without their service to him. Their service will be provided in simply watching over his grave. If being served was on his mind or his purpose or his goal, he would have never come. He would have stayed with his ministering angels. Love brought him to us. A love that intended above all else to serve us. Here's the positive side of this. He came to serve. He said, I've come not to be served. I've come to serve. This coming to serve required a profound act of abandonment. Before those swaddling rags were wrapped around him, a robe of glory was set aside by him. A royal throne was left empty in order that he might occupy a manger. This loving abandonment of power in order to serve stayed with the Lord Jesus and was expressed by the Lord Jesus all through his life. You read the first chapter of Mark and you'll see 
It's a story of the Lord Jesus going from one place to the next place to the next place, serving and ministering to others. And when he escapes for a moment for a time of prayer, his disciples find him and tell him of all those who are seeking to find him. And he says, let's go. There are other villages for us to go to. He's constantly serving. And this follows the model of Christ's life up to the moment in time when he gathers with his disciples for the Last Supper. And there in Luke chapter 22 Verses 24 through 27, the Lord Jesus expresses this commitment of his coming. Here's what we read. Now there also was a dispute among them, the disciples, as to which of them should be considered the greatest. And he said to them, The kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and those who exercise authority over them call themselves benefactors, the ones who are offering up the benefits to others. But you are not to be like that. On the contrary, he who is greatest among you, let him be as the younger, and he who governs as he who serves. For who is greater, he who sits at the table or he who serves? It is not he who sits at the table? Yet I am among you as one who serves. That's my position. That's my occupation. Throughout human history, there have been classes of people in what have been called the servant class. Children who have been born into that same class are born, it's understood, to serve those who are born in classes above them. It's their place. It was their calling. It was their class. They were the workers of society. And then throughout history, there's been another class. There's been the elite class, or what we might call the ruling class. They were the ones who were born to be served. And those in this class would call themselves the benefactors of the poor and the benefactors of the servant. But it's actually an odd statement because in reality, these supposed benefactors are the ones who are benefited by the poor and benefited by the servants. It's the servants who are the true benefactors who are rendering the service for the benefit of the ruling class. That's how it actually takes place. That's what the reality is. The one who's providing all the benefit and all the blessing are the servants. Jesus, King of the angels, Lord of heaven and earth, Master of the ministering angels, left his position in an incredible act of self-abandonment and came into the servant class. Into such a class, God sent his son to be born and he learned working alongside of his carpenter stepfather to serve others and because of his supreme service to us, we've been elevated to the elite class. We're the ruling class. The Bible says we're a kingdom of priests. We're kings and priests before our God. And all because Christ made himself poor and came to serve us. Philippians 2, 6 and 7. He who being the very nature of God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, abandonment, but made himself nothing, abandonment, taking on the very form of a servant. He's come to serve us. This also required a supreme act of descending, a supreme act of humbling. I've told this story before. It's kind of an almost sad but comical story in our family. We had an Aunt Margaret who lived in a little town called Piqua, Ohio, and her husband and her owned a, a store in the downtown. I can't remember what kind of store it was. But anyhow. A prominent store, and they considered themselves to be prominent people in the community. They lived on the 
basically in one of the nicest houses on the nicest street in town. And they were spendthrifts, though. They were misers. And so although they had all the accoutrements on the outside of wealth, one of the things they didn't want to do in their penny-pinching ways in that day was they didn't want to have a phone in their house. They had one in their business that was good enough for them, and their place of business was some blocks away downtown Piqua. Well, the time came with Aunt Margaret's husband had a heart attack or seemed to be having a heart attack. There were neighbors around her had telephones and she could have gone to any of the neighbor's house to ask for a telephone to call for the emergency, but Aunt Margaret was too proud to borrow, to ask to borrow the phone. And so instead she made her way down the number of blocks to their place of business to call the emergency there to come and provide for the needs of her husband. And by the time help arrived at their home, it was too late. He'd passed away. She was too proud to borrow a phone. Too cheap to own one. There's always something humbling about borrowing. Whether it's to get a loan from a bank, and if you've ever been getting a loan for a bank, you kind of know the feeling of having your hat in your hand. Right? Or borrowing a rake from your neighbor. There's some sense of inadequacy and insufficiency that seems to be associated with the act, and yet... If you follow the life of the Lord Jesus Christ, you'll see that this descending of Christ to service put him in the necessary place of borrowing, always borrowing. Let me read to you a poem. He borrowed a stable in which to be born and later confessed that he had no bed. He borrowed a basket that bright spring morn and sent away people their hunger full fed. He borrowed a boat from which to preach his father's love to sinful men, standing that day on Galilee's beach, longing to hear his message again. He borrowed a donkey on which to ride with royal blessings from on high, later to hear the proud city his name deride, scornfully bidding him pass by. He borrowed a room in which to meet his friends, the sacred feast to keep of old. But the towel to dry his disciples' feet was not his, nor the holy table his to hold. He borrowed a cross on which to die, a ransom from sin, a life laid down. He borrowed a tomb in which to lie, and yet the great universe was his own. He gave up everything for us, the descent and the abandonment, in order to come and serve us and make himself a ransom for our lives. Jesus was born in a borrowed manger, he was buried in a borrowed grave. The whole scene at Christ's birth reminds us that our Savior took on poverty, the poverty of a servant, and descended from the stairway of heaven to serve us. Why? Why? Here's some simple questions to ask you. How does a father pick up his child? He reaches down beneath him. How does a servant wash another's feet? He gets on the ground before them. How does God come and save us from our sin and take us to heaven? At what point does he reach hold of us? At the lowest point. Point of our poverty, our spiritual poverty, and our brokenness and our sin. Christ demonstrates this supreme commitment of God being born into poverty, coming in a barred manger because God was reaching down and at that moment beginning the work of reclaiming our souls, 
a reclaiming that would take the Lord Jesus to a borrowed cross to the lowest point in Christ where God was reaching beneath us as he who knew no sin became sin for us. God was bending to serve us and benefit us. I have not come to be served but to serve and to give my life a ransom for many, for you. What does it mean for us? Well, he abandoned all these things so that we could acquire his life and his fullness and his benefit and his peace. And so what I would say to you is take what he's given and take it to the full. If Christ has given up all this in order to make us rich, get rich. Dive into his fullness. Dive into his life. Enjoy it and appreciate it. He's done all this to set a table for us. Dig in and eat all that's before you. If he's bowed to wash and keep you clean on a daily basis, put your feet before him and let him wash you daily. Don't go to bed. Don't end the day in your sins. Claim your place at the throne that he'd abandon. Live according to your understanding as royal sons and daughters. Let him continue to express himself in service to you because he sent his spirit for that purpose. To serve us. To elevate us with his life. And then remember that he came as a servant to give us an example to follow in because this is the family business. Serving others. So get down with him and serve in every place and every point and By the way, we don't come to service because we're sinners like everybody else. Really, we don't. You know why we come to service? We come to service because we've received grace like nobody else. He met us in our sins and He poured out upon us grace. And What can we do with that? But serve all those around us. Let's bow our heads and let's pray. This has been the Bread of Life. Thank you for joining us today. To learn more about our work around the world or in your neighborhood, or for a copy of this message, go to breadoflifeboise.org. Until our next time together in God's Word, may God bless you.